You're about to listen to an original podcast concerning the early 2018 death of Charlottesville resident Molly Miller. The purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. It is not to be confused with a legal investigation. Opinions expressed are solely those of the participants. The following contains adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. In 2017, over 96,000 women over the age of 21 went missing. That same year, over 47,000 people died of suicide. In Charlottesville, Virginia, Molly Miller went from being a missing person to being grouped in with that bleak ladder statistic. However, what actually happened, and indeed if her death was actually a suicide, continues to be a topic of debate, both amongst some of those who knew her and members of the Charlottesville community. While no one may ever know exactly what happened in the days between Molly's disappearance and the discovery of her body, one thing that most can agree on is that it was no ordinary case. And for a short time, the city of Charlottesville, still reeling over the events of the infamous August 12, 2017 Unite the Right rally, was back in the news. Even if it was a tragic case of suicide, there were still many unanswered questions, such as, why wasn't the home Molly shared with her fiancé, Anson Parker, thoroughly searched as soon as she was declared missing, per police protocol? Why wasn't Anson Parker immediately treated as a suspect? Who was Edward Thomas, the prime suspect, when she was believed to be missing, and why was he ever suspected to begin with? Also, what would compel a young woman, who friends and family claim had never been happier and never displayed suicidal tendencies, to suddenly take her own life? Is her mother correct that it was the result of Molly's use of the herbal extract kratom? To start with, we'll begin on December 29, 2017, the day that her fiancé claimed she went missing. On that afternoon, 31-year-old Molly Megan Miller went to the nearby Harris Teeter grocery store to pick up some groceries and pay for a shipment of the herbal supplement Kratom. The purchases came to over $300, and she used a credit card in the name of her fiancé-slash-living boyfriend, Anson Parker. She returned to the home they shared in Fifeville at approximately 4.30 p.m. Then, at approximately 8.30 p.m., Molly was reported to have left her house for a walk while Anson was cooking dinner. Despite the fact that the temperature was in the teens and she lived in an area of town known for its high crime rate, Molly supposedly left the house without a coat, her phone, or her purse. Media outlets reported that she was only wearing a black sweatshirt. Anson waited 24 hours before filing a missing persons report. And on social media, in conjunction with Molly's mother, Marion, spread the word that Molly was missing. A missing persons report read as follows. Missing person, Molly Megan Miller, age 31, eyes brown, hair brown, height 5 feet 8 inches, weight 115 pounds. It was assigned the case number C20174364. Those with any information were urged to call the Charlottesville Police Department or 911. After the news of Molly's disappearance, the case was a lead story in the local news and even got a blurb at People.com. The fact that Molly was an attractive young white woman probably played a role in the attention, but there were other factors at play. A few years earlier, in 2014, University of Virginia student Hannah Graham went missing after a night out in downtown Charlottesville. 
In 2009, Morgan Harrington, a Virginia Tech co-ed who came to Charlottesville to attend a rock concert, went missing as well. Both women's remains would eventually be found, and one man, a local named Jesse Matthews, would be convicted for both those deaths. While Matthews, who was serving a life sentence in prison and clearly could not have been involved in Molly's disappearance, there was speculation that maybe another serial killer was on the loose. Furthermore, this was five months after Charlottesville became shorthand for Nazis and police incompetence due to the events of August 12th, in which, by the way, Molly was a vocal counter-protester. Save the Next Girl, the nonprofit set up by Morgan Harrington's mother after the disappearance of her daughter, would assist in publicizing the search for Molly. As Sunday passed and Monday, New Year's Day passed with no signs of Molly, social media lit up with theories as to what happened to her. More than one person in my Facebook feed reported an article from a local free magazine, The Seaville, which discussed Anson Parker's run for city council back in 2015. Now, while it's not uncommon for the Seaville and other local publications to write blurbs about candidates for city council, Anson was noteworthy for two reasons. First, he was running as a Republican in the solidly blue city of Charlottesville. Second, Anson had been arrested three times, including January 2015, for incidents related to public intoxication. He also claimed he was thrown out of UVA after 9-11 for making a peace sign, something he called, quote, pretty epic. It wasn't the first time he had been in the news. An earlier article from another local weekly, the now-defunct The Hook, discussed his stunt of holding a slave sale reenactment in Charlottesville's Court Square. For the record, Anson Parker was asked to participate in this podcast, but declined. In addition to comments about Parker's arrests, there were also theories that perhaps Molly was being held somewhere. Meanwhile, Molly's mother, Marion, stated from the beginning that she thought her daughter had been abducted. As in many of these missing persons cases, theories flowed, but nothing came out of them. Then on Monday, New Year's Day 2018, at approximately 5.30 p.m., the case took an unexpected turn when Molly's body was discovered in her own house. The case was no longer a missing persons case now, but one that involved a dead woman. The initial reports were short on detail, but commentators had plenty of questions. One user on the NBC29 news page asked, So, how did she get back into the house and die without her fiancé noticing? A lot of strange facts here. And yet, another commented, Wait a minute, the woman went missing on a Friday evening and it took until Monday evening, two full days before investigators found her body, in her own house. Seems like the investigators have some explaining to do. Six hours later, after the body was discovered, the police issued a public statement saying that there was no threat to the public. On January 4, 2018, Molly's mother, Marion, posted a statement on Facebook stating that her daughter had committed suicide while also saying that Molly had been the happiest in her life and had plans with friends and family. Marion said that they would never know why she suddenly had taken her life and that instead of focusing on her death, people should celebrate her 31 years of life. 
In another post, she went on to state that for much of her daughter's adult life, Molly suffered from endometriosis, a medical condition where the lining of the uterus grows outside the uterine wall, often resulting in extreme menstrual pain. While Molly's mother didn't say how bad her daughter's condition was, in extreme cases like that of the actress Lena Dunham, who was a year younger than Molly, women may even undergo hysterectomies to alleviate the pain. Marion claimed that after trying numerous medical and alternative therapies, Molly eventually turned to taking the herbal supplement Crotum to help relieve her symptoms. Marion claimed that Crotum, quote, worked well with little to no negative side effects and allowed her to function normally and have a better quality of life, end quote. However, after reading an article link about the possible side effects of Crotum following Molly's death, quote, the link made us realize what obviously happened. We are 100% convinced Molly accidentally overdosed on crotum, perhaps put too many drops in her tea, took an extra dose for extra pain, or got a bad batch, and it made her do what she did because her thought processes were distorted by the crotum. She was happy and making positive plans up until that night. There was no indication that she was upset or planning anything other than good things. End quote. Marion concluded by saying the family was still awaiting the results of the toxicology report, which police specifically requested to look for the presence and, if possible, the quantity of crotum in her system. Regardless of the results, which may be difficult to get due to the cold temperature of the house, we know without a doubt this happened. In our grief, this has given us relief knowing that it was crotum and not anyone, including herself, to drove her to behave as she did. We love Molly and will continue to pour our love and care on her fiancé, Anson, along with spreading the word about the dangers of crotum to keep this from happening to anyone else. Molly wants it that way, end quote. While Marion's statement should not be critiqued too harshly, after all, she could have been in shock and her mind could have been clouded, it raises more questions than answers. One friend of Molly asked, why would a mother and Molly's stepfather not want the bizarre death of their daughter thoroughly investigated by the police? Furthermore, many people, including myself, thought that Molly's death involved drugs of some kind mixed with crotum, or an overdose of crotum, which I admit I had never heard of before. Also, Marion stated that the presence of lethal crotum might not be detected because of the cold temperature of the house, a detail that was not shared in any media reports I could find, but raised questions as to why the inside of that house would be so cold. In fact, it would later come from two police department leaks that the entire house was, quote, freezing cold and that Molly's corpse was so cold the spittle was frozen on her face. The case took another turn for the weird when local journalist Jackson Landers, who claimed to know Molly and Anson, told the local public radio station WVTF that Molly had terminal cancer. Landers also attempted to explain why it was possible for Molly's body to have been in the house for two days before it was detected by saying the house was cluttered. Landers said, quote, I wouldn't say that they were hoarders exactly, but it was a house that someone as small as Molly could get lost in, end quote. By small, it's unclear whether Landers was referring to her weight, but on the missing persons flyers, Molly's height was listed as 5 feet 8 inches, which is, to me at least, fairly tall for a woman. Property records show that the home she occupied had 1,029 square feet of living area, so even if cluttered, there was not a lot of space for a body to be hidden from sight. Furthermore, 
As it was later revealed, via Molly's extended family and someone who saw the autopsy, Molly did not have cancer, terminal or otherwise. In addition to his false claims about Molly's health, Landers also claimed in a social media post while she was missing that Molly had a, quote, serious problem, end quote, and needed to take medication every day. In a message dated December 31, 2017, that Molly's maternal aunt, Lori Goodbody, shared with me, Lori asked Landers what he was referring to. Landers replied that he was misinformed about her endometriosis and had been under the impression that she needed to take medication for it every day. Landers didn't publicly correct the mistake, and he said the following afternoon on January 1st that, quote, it added to the sense of urgency and got hundreds of people to share my posts on Facebook and Twitter, so I don't feel too badly about possibly not getting it exactly right, end quote. He went on to share that he was a journalist trying to get a green light to write an article and that if this was the case, he would be more precise, quote, subject to whatever her mother thinks is appropriate to publish say, end quote. It's worth noting that neither the media nor Landers ever corrected these errors, and attempts by me to reach out to him to ask where he got his information, especially the claims that Molly had cancer, went unanswered. As of late 2018, Jackson Landers no longer lives in Virginia. News reports were sparse with the details, but as it turns out, Molly actually died from what police ruled was a suicide via hanging from a belt around her neck. She was discovered facing inwards in the closet of a first-floor bedroom, with her lower body touching the floor, surrounded by clothing in the front and on both sides and even piled behind her back. When the detectives in the presence of Anson discovered her body, all that was visible was one of her legs. Upon seeing his dead fiance, Anson Parker reportedly let out a scream of such magnitude that one detective told Molly's aunts and Edward Thomas that if Anson is guilty, he deserves an Academy Award. While the details of her autopsy were not released to the public, the Commonwealth attorney told Molly's aunts that the toxicology report showed up negative for any substances except for a trace of crotum. And there was no suicide note. Then, on February 14th, two members of Molly's extended family, along with a local artist by the name of Edward Thomas, spoke to CBS 19's news reporter Courtney Stewart. The family members were Molly's maternal aunts, Lori Goodbody and Tina Hicks. Tina Hicks claimed that the police told them that they did not do a thorough search of the house that Molly shared with Anson Parker. According to Hicks, their quote was, we did B to Z okay, but we really messed up on A. A, she said, would be a thorough search of the house. They told us that they were in the house for seven to nine minutes, she said. Edward Thomas also expressed his dismay, revealing for the first time that his phone and his home were searched by detectives around 11 a.m. on January 1st. According to Edward, his house was searched from top to bottom and every closet was checked. Edward hinted at the close nature of their friendship by saying that the two were in constant contact and also revealed that Molly was the muse for his paintings. I recall reading this account and thinking that it seemed to suggest that Molly and Edward were more than just close friends, but more on that later. What Edward did not reveal in his interview was at the time he was considered a suspect in Molly's disappearance, much to his surprise. Still, other than comments on social media, the case pretty much went away. 
Molly's mother, perhaps as a way to process her grief, made several posts, including photos about her daughter nearly every day. The photos range from that of a young Molly to the attractive young woman she was right up to her death. Sometimes the photos were of Molly and her mother, or Molly with her dog Luca, or photos of her and Anson Parker. When it came to the photos that included Anson, Marion would state how much in love the couple was. For his part, Anson Parker appeared to delete his Facebook account, but still posted on his Instagram account. Most were photos of his woodmaking projects. However, one notable post was dated May 26, 2018, nearly five months after Molly's death, that appeared to show a homemade coat rack with phallic-shaped glass hooks. On two of those hooks hung a woman's nightgown. There was only a one-word description, quote, hung. End quote. Two people I spoke to claimed that the nightgown was Molly's. In July 2018, Edward Thomas was back in the news again after a judge granted protective orders against him to Anson Parker, Molly's mother Marion, and a third person who I later learned was a co-worker of Anson's at the University of Virginia. While Marion McConnell, Anson Parker, and the third person didn't have anything to say to the press, Edward came prepared. He released a statement that read, quote, I have serious questions about the suspicious death of Molly Megan Miller, my girlfriend, partner, and lover of over six years, and how the search for her when she was a missing person was conducted, how the subsequent investigation was conducted after her body was found in her own house. My questioning, it seems, is making people nervous. Although the investigation was now officially closed, the questions remained. Indeed, there were now new ones that went far beyond what may have actually happened to Molly Miller. Specifically, who was this Edward Thomas person? And if he was her lover and friend, what information, if any, did he have? One thing was certain, Edward Thomas was not alone in having questions about the death of Molly Miller. Molly Megan Miller was born April 6, 1986, the only child of Courtney and Marion Miller. Around 1989, the couple split, and Marion met a man named Dan McConnell, known to all as Dano. In 1993, the pair married, and they are together to this day. 1993 was also the year that the newlyweds purchased a 34-acre piece of property in Catawba Valley, Virginia, located near Roanoke, which was notable because it included an extensive cave system called Murder Hall. As Marion wrote in her 2012 book about the history of the cave, quote, it's not clear what came first, the name because of the legends or the legends because of the names. There is certainly power in the words themselves. Murder evokes scenes of death, evil, intrigue, and whole conjures up visions of darkness, the unknown and primal fears. While Marion goes on at length in her book about the various myths, legends, and outright falsehoods that surround Murder Hole, the one thing that is certain is that it is, quote, an especially dangerous cave, end quote. Based on the book, it seems that danger in history was part of the appeal of the place. The couple would later build their home on the land, and in her aforementioned book, Marion included her daughter in the acknowledgments. Marion wrote that Molly began living an adventurous life the moment she was born and had the courage and independence to live her own passions. In August 1996, Molly's biological father, Courtney, died. According to various people, Molly did not see him the last year of his life, and this had a profound effect on her for the rest of her life. 
It seems Molly did well academically because after graduating from her local public high school, she enrolled at the Selective University of Virginia, hence resulting in her move to Charlottesville. A former classmate who also attended UVA with Molly claimed that Molly wanted to be a nurse. However, her first year did not get off to a good start. Molly told friends she had been raped. And later, she posted a YouTube video dated November 25, 2014, about the rape. She claimed it happened one evening after she left an art class. In the video, Molly went into graphic detail about the attack. She claimed she was hit on the head with a rock or a brick and could not ID her attacker. The attack affected her academic performance. Per the video, she failed every single class and despite taking some courses over the summer and doing well in those, was told that she had failed out. While Molly didn't say when she left UVA, it appears she was not attending when she met Anson Parker in 2006. Parker, who was also a UVA alumnus, was supposedly living in a converted bus when the pair met. In 2007, the couple moved in together, and on November 11, 2011, the pair announced they were engaged on Facebook, complete with a picture of Anson dressed in khakis and a navy blazer, bending down on one knee, while Molly was holding a wine glass in her right hand and sporting a huge smile on her face. In the picture, the pair looked like an attractive, happy young couple. According to at least two people I spoke to, the ring that Anson proposed with was Molly's grandmother's ring. However, it doesn't appear that the couple set a date, nor could I locate any sort of wedding registry. While a six-year engagement, or even longer, is an unknown, two people I spoke to who met Molly a few months before she died independently said that she did not refer to Anson as her fiancé. Another person, Stephanie Bottoms, whom I interviewed, claims to have met Molly at a party a couple of months before her death and claims that Molly said she was, quote, sort of involved with the man she was living with. While Stephanie said she found this odd, she didn't press the issue. Stephanie also recalls that the person who threw the party introduced Molly as the girlfriend of Edward Thomas. In 2012, Edward and Molly met at Gaston & Wyatt, a local high-end provider of architecture millwork where Edward and Anson both got wood scraps for carpentry projects. Edward said he had been friends with Anson for years since the pair lived nearby, but he had no idea that Anson had a girlfriend, much less a live-in one. Molly and Edward started a friendship with each other. Molly modeled for Edward and appeared in a video he worked on for the Dave Matthews Band. Edward claims that the pair became lovers, which was confirmed by a number of people I spoke with, including a woman I will call Shelly, who became friends with Molly via Edward and recalls asking Molly why she didn't marry Edward. According to Shelly, it was only then that she learned that Molly was living with another man. In 2014, Molly accompanied Edward to New York City, and in 2015, she appeared at his reception at the local 2nd Street Gallery as his date. Molly shared pictures of both on her Facebook. Apparently, Molly had time to do these things because her employment was at best sporadic. While she was employed for a time at a local retail store, at the time of her death, she had no steady employment. 
Part of this may have been due to health issues from her endometriosis. However, Molly did tell some of her friends that she was thinking of starting a masonry business. Edward Thomas claims he taught her masonry. He himself is a skilled mason and claims to have done work for notable Charlottesville residents. According to him, Molly's work even attracted the attention of Ashley Matthews, the wife of the singer Dave Matthews. A glance at Molly's Facebook page shows several pictures of her masonry work that she made for the home she shared with Anson. However, while she referred to the house as their house, property records show that it was only ever in Anson Parker's name. Molly had no legal claim to the house. When I inquired about Anson's knowledge of Edward's relationship with Molly from Edward, I was told that Anson was and that the two had never had any confrontation over it. However, when asked directly if Molly ever outright told Anson about their relationship, Edward says he doesn't know. He also claims that besides him, she became involved with another person during this time, which was confirmed by others I spoke to. Edward claims he never had a motive to want to harm Molly. Therefore, he was surprised when police knocked on his door and asked him to search his home because his friend-slash-muse-slash-sometimes-lover was missing. Edward claims he cooperated with the police and showed them what would become his last ever text from Molly at 4.24 p.m. on Friday, December 29, 2017, confirming her plans to attend a Sunday New Year's Eve party at his residence. He also had pictures on his phone, including one of a nude Molly climbing up a chain. He claimed that it was a picture he later used for a painting, and the painting he showed me seemed to confirm this. While he was cleared as a suspect after Molly's body was found and her death was ruled a suicide, Edward didn't feel the story had ended. He, along with some family members, had questions as to what happened, or at the very least, why it had taken so long for her body to be discovered in her own home. When I reached out to Molly's mother and asked if she would like to participate in this podcast, she declined. She requested that instead of doing the podcast on Molly's death, I do one on the dangers of carotum, the herbal supplement that she blamed for her daughter's death. I responded that any piece I did on Molly would discuss carotum. Before learning about this story, I had never heard of carotum. A Google search revealed that it is an evergreen tree found in various countries in Southeast Asia and Papua New Guinea. It is commonly used as a pain reliever, and some people claim it is an effective alternative to opiates. It also isn't without controversy, with some calling for it to be banned as an over-the-counter supplement and classified as an illegal drug. Carotum has been linked to deaths, mostly when it is mixed with opioids, but there was nothing I could find being linked to delusions or suicidal thoughts. Indeed, one person I reached out to, a medical researcher and expert on chronum at the University of Florida, Dr. Christopher McCurdy, said, quote, There are no controlled clinical trials at this time on chronum and nothing scientific that would link it to suicidal thoughts, end quote. And remember, there was said to be only a trace amount of the supplement found in Molly's body. Therefore, if it wasn't Crotum, then what caused Molly to kill herself? Could it be possible that much like the assumption at first that Molly was abducted, it wasn't true? One person who does not believe that Molly killed herself is Edward Thomas. His story is next in Episode 2, to be posted in the next few weeks. Thank you for listening to Missing Molly, an original podcast concerning the early 2018 death of Charlottesville resident Molly Miller. Opinions expressed have been solely those of the participants. 
Missing Molly was written and produced by Kimberly Lowe, with engineering and editing from Mike Friend. Original artwork from Natalie Jacobson, music composed and performed by Sam Whedon. Digital assistance is from John Taylor, with special thanks to Todd Ely, Lori Goodbody, Stephanie Bottoms, Josh Bontrager, Tina Hicks, Courtney Stewart, Lloyd Snook, and Edward Thomas. For more information, you can contact Missing Molly Podcast at gmail.com.